following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. How many of you would consider yourself foodies? Can I see the foodie hands? Look at that. There's people. I'm not that... Oh, there you go. Wow. Okay. I am definitely not a foodie. Uh, I'm more of a blue-collar eater, but I have things that I like to eat. I know Sean Farrell and I are very much drawn towards the crispy on the outside, chewy in the middle, large cookie. Uh, in fact, I can pass by pretty much every dessert, but a cookie is, I've got to actually make a defined, against my nature, will to not eat that cookie. Uh, anybody drawn to In-N-Out double-double uh, grilled onions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a Five Guys special order, you know, with a bag of fries with a friend. Um, I'm really drawn, a traditionalist, to the pepperoni pizza, but I will break out of the pepperoni pizza and go to the barbecued chicken. Okay, that's, that's just a real... Just thinking about it, I'm starting to drool right now. Because those things, to me, are tasty. They're just, I'm drawn to them. And in the same way, the Lord Jesus Christ actually does expect you to be tasty. That people would actually be drawn to you because of how you live and what you say for the glory of God. That you become tasty and attractive. You see the outline that's in front of you and the title is Tasty and attractive, and that's really explaining the text that we're going to look at today as we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and we're in the section now that actually talks about light and salt. And I want you to see it as God intended you to see it. Jesus is actually going to talk to you about your influence, that He's left you here to be an influence for His glory. And he describes that as being attractive and tasty. He's going to make it clear that if you desire it, if you desire it, that you can and will influence others for his glory. I want to ask you by a show of hands, how many actually want to be used by Christ to be influential in our day? Can I see your hands? Look at that. Okay, so we've got people who desire it and Christ is now going to tell you what it's going to be like, what it's going to take. And just to move you in the right direction, as he picks up this portion of the sermon, he's going to say and command you to be tasty and attractive. Christ in you, Christ through you, is going to cause a reaction. Two weeks ago, we learned that the reaction would be persecution. When you begin to live by the power of the Spirit, the Beatitudes, not perfectly, but progressively, the Beatitudes, which he teaches from, you know, verse 3 all the way to verse 12, he basically tells you that if you live these out, people are going to push back at you. They're going to persecute you. But this week, he's going to tell you that not only some people are going to push against you and maybe even attack you, the other side of it is that you're going to find yourself being more and more influential for his glory that you're going to be light and salt. Now, if you really want to be light and salt, 
let me help you to understand there's some things that you need to understand before we even get to the text here. These are obvious. These are part of the New Testament. But you need to understand that you're going to have to live aware of why you're here. Most Christians just, I'm a Christian. And they've forgotten that you're here for a purpose. To put Christ on display, to glorify Him, to serve, to share. Uh, secondly, you need to embrace, embrace your mission on this planet to demonstrate his character, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, you need to pursue living out the Beatitudes dependently upon the Spirit of God. Living out those truths will cause you to be unique, and that will cause people to pay attention to your lifestyle. And you need to get, fourthly, close enough to the lost. This is a big issue for Christians today. We're so isolated, we're so recluse in our own family of Christians, we have no contact with the lost, and therefore we can't be tasty, we can't be attractive to them, because we never are around them, and they don't see us. And then fifthly, you've got to be motivated by love. You've got to have a burden for those who are headed toward eternal torment. You have to recognize that really there's... The reality is there's a heaven and a hell, and that's where eternity is going to be spent. And those people who don't know Christ are headed toward eternal torment. You've got to be motivated to sacrifice for them and to love them. Those five things have to be present for influence to occur. But if you're ready to be influential for Christ, to hear from Him, well done, what? Good and faithful servant. Then therefore, the Lord begins the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes he sets up those unique qualities that make you distinct, um, in fact, so different, and set us apart from all people, saved and unsaved, religious as well as secular. And he just told his listeners that if we live by the Beatitudes, again, last two weeks ago, there's going to be persecution. You see, why would they persecute you? Because you're saying things like, only salvation that exists is through Jesus Christ that all other religions on planet earth are not going to get you to heaven only through faith in Jesus Christ, and that only God can save you. You can't save yourself. You can't work your way to heaven. Those things are offensive to people. And then when you start expressing mercy, when you start expressing love to the unlovely, when you have unstoppable joy or forgiveness, some people are going to get mad, and other people are going to attack you. And that was verses... 9 through 12 that we looked at two weeks ago, we're going to be to some degree persecuted like the prophets of old. That was verse 12. Now verse 13 through 16, he picks up the argument in a different way, and he says we who are going to be the most influential for what really matters, the truth of God's word, the gospel of God's glory, that if you're living out the Beatitudes on the heels of this, he tells Christians you are going to be influential for God's character, for God's purposes on this planet. You will be salt. You will be light. You will be tasty. You will be shiny in this bland, dark, dangerous world. You're not to be passive Christian. Uh, no, you're salt, which flavors. You're light, which shines. Salt permeates, light illuminates, pointing everyone to the source of light and the source of life. And that's who? the Lord Jesus Christ. So point number one in your outline, let's work through these ways in which you're going to be influential, and that is number one, tasty or salty. Salty. You are, as a church together, and each of you as individual Christians, 
You cannot live like the world. What's our world given to right now? It's given to pride, immorality. It's given to self-centeredness. And in our particular culture, materialism is very, very big. You're called by God to be different. You're to live by those beatitudes, dying to self, seeing and mourning over your own sin. God called you to minister the world by being separate from its ways. And here's the dangerous truth that we all have to wrestle with. And that is this, that actually the church today is more influenced by the world than the world is influenced by the church. Let me make it specific to you, Christian. Okay, the Christian is more influenced by the world today than the world is influenced by the Christian. That's a deadly truth that really Jesus is speaking against in this particular passage. And regardless, the Lord is going to charge his listeners who are gathered there by the Sea of Galilee and on that particular perfect acoustic slope to be influential for Christ. And he's going to do it this way. Look at verse 13 and tell, see what he says. He's going to say, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become what? Say it. Tasteless. Tasteless. How can it be made salty again? For it it is no longer good for anyone except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the salt of the earth. This is a statement of fact. The you here is emphatic. It's a very strong statement focusing on you, plural, as well as you individually. You are right now, are you ready? Salt. You are salt. The only question is, how tasty are you? That's the question. How tasty are you? You need to ask that question, is your saltiness still tasty? But you are salt. He already tells us that. That's what Christians are. The statement is not a command, it's a declaration. It's a fact. And basically Christ in you and Christ through you makes you salt. While you're a part of this world, you are to be tasty. Now, let's examine salt for a minute. Salt is a mineral, right? Sodium chloride. Anybody with me? You chemists? NaCl, okay? In its natural form, it is a crystalline mineral. It is essential to life. It is the oldest and widely used seasoning ever found for food. Primarily, it was used, write it down, as a seasoning. It was also early on and today used as a preservative. They call it salting or brining or pickling food to keep it edible on long journeys. They did this in the first century on long voyages and today at the store. You can pick up a can. It's been there for 100 years. Why? Because there's 3,000 milligrams of salt in there preserving it for you. Right? It's true. But the main emphasis, I want you to get this, that Christ uses salt here is in terms of taste. Please hear me. It's not about preservation. It's about taste. How do I know that? Because he says so. You're concerned about interpreting the Bible correctly. Amen? You want to hear the author's intended message. Well, how does Christ use salt here? He says, if it loses its what? Taste. It becomes tasteless. He's using it as a season, not as a preservation in this context. And so, you need to understand that back in the first century, salt was way more valuable than it is today, except for the sun, nothing nothing was more valuable to the Romans than salt. You say, really? Yeah. In fact... It was so treasured by the Romans, they sometimes paid their soldiers partially in salt. They gave them income, but they gave them salt. Our English word, salary, comes from the Latin word, out of the Roman Empire, for salt. 
And the phrase, he's not worth his salt, is actually coming from a lazy or ineffective Roman soldier not being worth his pay, a salary which was partially included a portion of salt. Are you getting this? This is how valuable it was. So in the first century, as they're listening to this, if you wanted to prove to anybody, and this is very true, that you wanted them as your friend, you would share your salt with them. And that would prove that I'm serious about our friendship. They know you're serious. This is a collegiate dating tip right here, okay? I mean, you know, a little salt in your hand. Hey, baby, okay, I'm serious about this, right? Salty, you know, or you come up with rhymes. Don't blame me, it's not my fault. You know I like you, here's my salt. You know, that kind of thing. So, understand, I'm not exaggerating. Sometimes the sign of a contract was sealed with salt. It was unbreakable bond of salt. The audience listening here in the Sermon on the Mount would immediately understand that salt of the earth represented a value commodity. It was high value, big importance, tasty. Another reason that salt of the earth is that salt is unlike that which it influences. Uh, Let me help you understand that. God has changed us from being a part of this world to actually a part of his world, right? Eternally. In his family, we're now ambassadors of that heavenly family to this planet, correct? We're ambassadors, but we're different. And being salt, uh, we can help flavor this world with his character. But by definition, if you're going to influence people, you've got to be different from that which you influence. So Christians must be different from the world that they're called to influence. We have to be different, unique. Not weird, unique. We, we cannot bring God's flavor to the world when we are just like the world ourselves. We need to stand out like Christ. So he says, verse 13, look at it, you are the salt of the earth, but here's the danger. Look at verse 14. Actually, 13, excuse me. But if the salt has become, what? Tasteless. How can it be made salty again? A lot of the salt found in Israel was actually by the shores of the Dead Sea, and it was contaminated with a lot of other minerals. Uh, It made it taste flat. Sometimes it made it taste gross. And when contaminated salt found its way into a household, they threw it out. You know why they threw it out? They didn't throw it in their garden. They didn't throw it in their fields. Because what? That would kill the plants, correct? So they threw it out on the roads as a weed abatement that they could just walk on the road without the, you know, weeds growing up everywhere, that kind of thing. And so they basically uh, would understand as they're listening to this they'd understand what Jesus meant by what he said when he said it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You couldn't throw it in a field. You couldn't throw it in your garden. You had to throw it on a road. Now, there is a sense that salt cannot really become completely unsalty, but contamination can cause salt to lose its tastiness, right? Its saltiness no longer functions. It's no longer tasty. Jesus wasn't teaching here that you're going to lose your salvation. God does not allow any of his children to ever be taken from him. John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they what? Follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, nor shall be snatched out of my hand. So Jesus assures you, Christian, now if you're in ongoing disobedience there's a question of your assurance but you cannot be kicked out of his family just as salt cannot lose its inherent saltiness but Christians can lose their saltiness their value their effectiveness for Christ's purposes on this planet so when sin 
when worldliness begin to contaminate our lives, when we're not living according to the scripture, according to the Beatitudes, but we're living our way just like the world, then just as salt can become tasteless when contaminated by other minerals, we lose our saltiness and our effectiveness and our influence. But understand, it is a common New Testament truth that although true believers are identified as righteous and godly and salty, there are times when we genuinely fail to live up to that. Correct? Yeah. Amen? So when Peter tells us, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, that leads to loss of assurance, not loss of salvation. But there are hundreds of pages that are written by commentators about what salt does. They say it purifies, it preserves, it flavors, it heals, it creates thirst. But my FBC family, one more time, what is the Lord saying here? The Lord teaches in this verse, look at what he says, if salt has become what? What's the answer? Tasteless. So he's talking about tasteless as a seasoning here to bring taste to food. He's not talking about preservation here. So don't go there and don't listen to that. But Understand what he means. He means that he's speaking about how we flavor the world, how we're tasty. And your valuable and important influence is Christ in you and through you. That can be lost. Our tastiness can be lost. So here in town and across the world, understand true believers are to be a witness to the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our talk and our walk should be the same. Not perfectly, but progressively. A salty life. A life that lives out the Beatitudes, not perfectly, but progressively, and brings power to our proclamation. Again, we're looking at the whole sermon in its context. He just went through the Beatitudes. He talked about persecution. Now he's talking about light and salt. If you lose your saltiness, people will lose the taste of godliness, one translation says. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? They won't. So those who live just like the world basically have no influence for Christ in the world. Those who no longer live the Beatitudes will no longer show the beauty of Christ. Those who lose their saltiness become useless in the kingdom of Christ. Those who slide through life avoiding Christian collisions will drift into no flavor. Those who remain average under the radar believers will soon lose their tastiness. This is what Jesus is warning. And compromise is a deadly cancer to our witness to the world. Compromise on our part. Again, Jesus asks in verse 13, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. If salt loses its flavor in the ancient world, it was used in roads as weed abatement. Now, he's talking to the nation of Israel here. These are Jews who are listening to this, his disciples, his larger group of disciples, and that large crowd. Did Israel succeed or fail at being a witness to the world? They failed. Abraham was called to be blessed so he could be a blessing to the nations. Psalm 66, bless us, Lord, so we can bless the nations. They were to be that witness. They're hearing this, and they're saying, we missed that. So now in the new covenant, we are empowered by the Spirit of God to live those life-transforming beatitudes, those unique kind of experiences where we're actually demonstrating a transformed heart, and that's going to put Christ on display, cause some persecution, but also intensify our influence. That's what's happening here. So understand, instead of flavoring food and being tasty, salt, when it loses its taste, becomes weed abatement. So when we're seduced by the culture that we live in, by materialism or expediency or moral laxity or comfort or even complacency, then the beauty of Christ in us will be lost. 
But if we maintain our convictions of Christ and his word, if we truly pursue living out the word of God in dependent obedience, relying upon the spirit of God, again, when you're filled with the spirit, you're manifesting the fruit of the spirit, makes you very attractive. If you pursue practicing the Beatitudes, then people are going to eventually take notice. And again, lost family, lost friends, people at your workplace, people at your school will be drawn to us like light is attractive and like salt is to popcorn. It's going to be tasty. You say, how does that work out? Let me give you some thoughts. Husbands, adore your wives. You will shock the men at your workplace if while they're ripping on women and their wives in particular and you go, I have a treasure at home. I have a wife that God has given me that is unbelievable. They're going to look at you and their mouths are going to drop and they're going to go, what is with this guy? Right? Right? How about you women, instead of complaining about your husbands, you brag about your husbands to other women. And they're all going to look at you like, what is going on with you? Are you wackadoo? Children who esteem their parents. Uh, That's shocking. How about students who actually look to older saints for wisdom and they actually follow and listen. Wow. Christians who love each other and love their church who manifest joy in trial, who demonstrate love for one another, those who are poor in spirit. They take the Lord seriously. They don't take themselves seriously at all. Those qualities make you salty, tasty. As the Savior's salt, you're to infiltrate this world with the seasoning of faithfulness, holiness, justice, righteousness. You're to have courage and conviction, but also love and mercy and peace and and graciousness and forgiveness which will cause others to look at you differently. Being attractive doesn't mean you shouldn't say no. Okay, we're not talking about that. You should stand for truth. You should express your belief in two genders. That'll cause some pushback. Uh, For sex belonging only in marriage, uh, marriage only between a male and a female, born male, born female, state your belief in six-day creation, and people are going to go, where are you from? Be bold in telling others that, you know, lying and greed and lust and materialism is not little sins. They're offensive to God. Love doesn't always express itself in kindness. Uh, kindness is not always indulgent. Tolerance is not always a virtue. No is often the most loving thing a parent can say to a child. Amen? And sometimes the most loving thing a pastor can say to a congregation or a Christian can say to one another. So understand, it doesn't mean that you're a wimp as you put Christ on display. In fact, it leads to, point number two, being attractive and shiny. Verses 14 and 15. He says, be shiny. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. The you here, the very first word, verse 14, look at it, circle it. That's emphatic. He's saying, each of you and all of you are light. Just like each of you and all of you are salt, each of you and all of you are light. Everyone sees. Uh, It is not that you will be light. He's not saying you should be light. You are light. The only question is, are you a bright light or a dull light? That's the question. You know, you are salt. The only thing is, are you tasty or are you gross? Okay? He's basically telling you those questions. Now, you know what light is. All the scientists in this room. It's electromagnetic radiation which is both a particle and a wave. 
Science is still debating that. Infrared is on one end, ultraviolet is on the other, with visible light as the focus of Christ's comments. In the Old Testament, you know what light was? It was revelation, it was instruction, it was joy, righteousness, salvation, and it was, are you ready? The radiance of God's presence. And who was the ultimate light for planet Earth? Who was the divine light? Anyone? Jesus Christ. Sure. What does it say in John 1, 9? The true light which is coming into the world enlightens every man. Jesus said in John 9, verse 5, While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, in a stunning way, as he's preaching the sermon to these individuals who are in front of him in this huge crowd that you're now a part of, he basically looks at his disciples and he says to them, he says to you at FBC, you're the light. By the way, you're the only light apart from his word that exists. Would you agree that today is a very dark day? Would you agree? It's getting darker. And just a little light is going to be a bright light. Just, just shine a little bit and you're going to have influence because of how dark it is. Christ is the source of our light. He's the source. And once Christ left this physical world, he basically said he's going to be a light through those he's enlightened. And so Ephesians 5 verse 8, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are what? Light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For he rescued us from this domain of darkness into a domain or kingdom of light. You are the moon to the sun. Everybody understands that, right? Does the moon reflect its own light? Does it radiate its own light? Yes or no? No. It reflects the light of the sun. And Jesus teaches his listeners, you're the light of the world. How bright are you? Do you ever check your lights for lumens? Anybody know what lumens are? The more the lumens, the more the light. Listen, Gene and I are at that age now that we want the surface of the sun from our light bulbs, okay? We want our house to have no shadows anywhere, okay? We just want it to be bright, 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 bright until it hurts you. That's kind of what it is. Well, this is what he's telling you. Are you a weak flashlight or a lighthouse? Are you an old bulb or a laser? Are you ignorable or are you unavoidable? I had a weird experience. I was at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, and I was uh, right going through the Grand Canyon on a giant boat, and um, about third day in, and I'm sleeping by the river, and somebody takes this light, and they just shined it right into my eyes, and I was sleeping, and it woke me up, and I literally said, turn off that light. I was very disoriented. Jean was sleeping, so snoring, Uh, and so I knew it wasn't her, so who's doing this? And I look up, and my eyes began to focus, and it was the moon. And in the Grand Canyon, the moon, it lit up our campsite as if it were daytime. It was so bright, the reflected light of the moon. And I thought, what a great illustration. That's what we want to be. We want to be the brightest light possible in this dark world. And so he gives two illustrations to basically illustrate the importance of light and how we are light. First in your outline, the light on a hill. Look at verse 14. He says, a city set on a hill cannot be what? Hidden. So Spurgeon said, Christ has lighted us that we might enlighten the world. God intends his grace to be as conspicuous as a city built on a mountain's brow. Now, God didn't redeem us and then call us to himself to hide us 
Would you agree with that? He didn't save us to be silent saints. He said, you're a light even when the stars are hidden and it's absolutely pitch black. I've a couple of times walked down a road where I couldn't actually see my hand right here in front of my face. It was so overcast, no moon, no night, nothing. And I had to feel my way through the road so I wouldn't fall off a cliff at 30 feet. And it was an amazing experience. I remember just tapping down the road and recognizing, listen, again, the darker it is, just one little light can show the way. One little match. Both in daytime and nighttime, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, right? You see the buildings during the daytime, and you see the light coming through the windows at nighttime. A secret Christian is absurd, is what Jesus is saying. Lights are to illuminate, not to be hidden, to to be displayed, not covered. We are to be, I already write it down, conspicuous light, obvious light. And then he gives, secondly, a light in a house. Second illustration, verse 15. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but at, on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, light is used four times here. Light on a hill, verse 14, for the entire world to see. Verses 15 and 16, light on a lampstand, so the entire house is lit. Again, you don't hide it under a basket. Listen, friends, you just are experiencing Jesus' first century humor. I'm confident that when he said, put it under a basket, people are going, okay, it's ridiculous. We don't get it here, but understand, we have electricity, we don't get this. A light is never to be put under a bushel. It's just ridiculous. And in that ridiculousness, there's humor in that. And basically, I'm sure they were chuckling at this point, but no purpose of the lamp is anything other than to give light. Again, living out the verses 3 through 8, the Beatitudes and dependent obedience, Living aware of your spiritual bankruptcy, there's three. Your deep grief over sin, verse four. Your dependence on God, your desperation to be righteous, your life of mercy uh, to the undeserving, and through your new heart, verses three through eight. Living this way will bring you, verses nine through 12, persecution. But will also make you a light to the world and impact this planet and cause you to be influential for Christ. You will be light. You're saying, no, 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 Chris, that's for Spurgeon. That's for Luther. That's for MacArthur. That's for a CG leader. Uh, that's for somebody in the church, a children's worker, really sacrificial, you know, or the setup guys. No, 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 no. Again, one more time, a tiny little light is all you need to make an impact in a dark place. Tiny little grandma, tiny little junior higher, tiny little mama for your workplace, your school, your neighborhood to impact others can't live for yourself you can't just be convenient can't always go where you want do what you want speak anyway or live like the world you need to continually ask is this going to put christ on display and that's what the beatitudes were is putting christ on display and and not to be a distraction from him and this will make christ look good there are ways that we're really messing up would you agree Uh, social media is one of them you know, let me, let me be obvious. You, you cannot post provocative pictures and be a light to the world. Can I hear an amen? Can't do it. You can't post every opinion you have and think you're honoring Christ. Uh, recently, LA Times writer uh, Jessica Gelt wrote this profound little quote. I wanted you to hear it about all of you on social media. It says this, quote, Like a digital tower of Babel, 
Social media is evolving into an increasingly ugly and chaotic space, a real-time repository of our worst impulses, uninspired musings, scatological humor, and ill-formed thoughts that should be kept to ourselves. It is an online mall of America, vast, vacuous, relentlessly commercial, and soul-sucking. And in a time of immense crisis, political, ecological, or social, whatever, it has become a garbage dump of vile commentary publicly aired because that's just what we do. Church today is losing its distinctiveness, losing its light, because we're increasingly imitating and emulating and following. And I'm not talking about preferences. We're talking about principles here, the language of the world, the crudeness, the opinions, the dress, the habits, all of that, the the teasing, the lust, the entertainment. You and I are going to have to actually cut some things out of our lives in order to be light and salt. There's no time. We're busying ourselves with so many things. In other words, I want to ask you this question. Just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you should do a thing. Just because you're free to do something doesn't mean it's the best thing. You should ask, is this good? Is this better? Or is this the best? Is this what puts Christ on display? Do I make time to put Christ on display in this tasteless, dark world? And number three, let's really get to the hammer here, purposeful, or C. C. Salt, right? And then C. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your goods work and glorify your Father who's in heaven. So salt, shine, and see. Jesus, when he says, your light shines before them, they'll see your good works. Now, not only are you dependently living out the Beatitudes, and again, you can't do that perfectly, but you're filled with the Spirit, you're seeking to be letting the Lord work through you in a dependent, merciful life, but you're also now showing, doing, and impressing the lost with good works. Now, the word good here is very telling, because there's two main ones in the Greek language. There's agathos and there's kalos. Agathos is moral good works. Kalos is attractive good works, and this word is kalos. It's attractive good works. He's saying, I want you to do things that are attractive to people. And that's the point of this passage. I want you to be attractive. Uh, Not just free stuff, but acts of kindness, giving action, supporting, praying. And as you see them, these works are not hidden. They're not under a basket. They're seen out in the open for all to see, not for your praise, but the praise of the Father. Right? That's what he's saying. The lost see visible good works and it makes them think of the invisible God. Right? They observe attractive good deeds. They glorify God because they recognize that God is behind these actions and catch this. Understand, the Lord wants these attractive good deeds to be done by you. Enough to command it here. Let shine here as a command. All right? In the midst of these declarations, he says, I want you to do this. Not every day, but, you know plan, aggressively, execute. Sometimes you'll massively fail, but never stop doing and keep preparing to do attractive good deeds. Let me ask you a pointed question. I had to ask myself this question as well. And that is, when's the last time at work, at school, or in your sphere of influence where you actually intentionally said, I'm going to do a good deed so I could point to Jesus Christ? That's how we've moved away. And we've forgotten that's part of our influence. And it's the way you're gifted, the way you're made. Maybe you're a good baker. Uh, Maybe you're just a writer. You like to write cards. Uh, Maybe there's just different ways that God's put you together. But 
use that as ways in which to put Christ on display. Even though some will persecute you for living a salty and a shiny life, others will be mesmerized. And they'll start thinking about the Father because of you. They'll start thinking about Him. They'll assign to God what they see in the life of a faithful Christian. Let me say it again. They'll assign to God what they see in the life of a faithful Christian. Followers of Christ, you're not the source, you're the conduit. It's the Spirit of God through you living the Beatitudes, living the fruit of the Spirit to put Him on display. I mean, come on, how attractive is it to be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness? I mean, that's the fruit of the Spirit. So depend on Him and rely on Him. Same thing with the Beatitudes. The focus is the Father, and the purpose is to put attention on Him, not you. We're big on that here. What we say by good deeds, what we do by good deeds, is what others, how they see God and glorify their Father who's in heaven. You notice He says Father there? Now, God is the Father of all, but He is not the intimate Father of the lost. Amen? He's not. But you can put that intimacy on display with your closeness, with the tenderness, addressing him as father. And then he talks about our father in heaven, pointing to his eternality, his greatness, his majesty over all, earth and heaven. God of the God of heaven. And to glorify God, you're displaying his character. That's what it means to glorify him. Just put his attributes on display. Your intentional, planned-out good works at school, at work, unsaved friends are intended to magnify God's grace, God's gospel, God's character, and that salvation only comes from Christ. This is our highest calling, to glorify God. This is why you're here. You understand that, correct? You have a purpose. Your purpose is what? Say it with me. What is it? Glorify God. It's to glorify God. Now, can you glorify God better? You're going to hear this next week, so don't be bored next week. Can you glorify God better on earth or in heaven? Answer? No. When you're perfect in heaven, you will much better glorify God in heaven when you're perfect. Amen? So then why in the world, if your purpose is to glorify God, why did he leave you here? So you can do here what you can't do in heaven. What can't you do in heaven? Are you ready? Share the gospel. Lead someone to Christ. Put Christ on display. You say, Chris... I know my Bible. And my Bible says you can't have babies in heaven, right? So we're here to have babies. Well, why do you have kids? Why do you have kids? So they would come to Christ as Christians, correct? What do you want more than anything, parents? Your children to know Jesus. Amen? That's what you want. So it's the same mission. You're here to lead others to Christ. That's why he left you here. This is our mission. Salt and light is our mission. And when you live the Beatitudes, dependently on the Spirit of God. When you're demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, demonstrating that, and you're a bold in your witness, that is a powerful combination. It's a powerful combination. And he's calling his disciples, he's calling you to do what missionary to India, William Carey shouts, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Do that. Get out of your fear and go for it. I hope you tap into God's Word today. T-A-P, right? T period, A period, P period, that is what? Tasty, attractive, purposeful. Salty, shine, and see. So take this home. Are you ready? Letter A, search your heart as to your willingness to be salt and light. Are you willing to pay the price to be salt and light, to be influential? Again, you can be willing, but it's not automatically going to happen unless you are aware tomorrow, Monday morning, why you're here. 
and that you have a mission that God wants you to accomplish. And it doesn't have to all happen in one day. You're constantly working at this. You're manifesting Christ. You're also trying to do good deeds occasionally to really point to Him. You're living out the Beatitudes. You're living out being filled with the Spirit. So Christ commands you to be unique. And you're trying to get close enough to the lost so they're going to notice Christ in you and through you. And you're driven by love because you want them to know Christ. You want them to be in heaven. You don't want them to have suffering for all eternity in eternal torment. Letter B. What current struggles are hiding your light or diminishing your tastiness? Which, which current struggles? It could be fear of man. It could be pride. It could be personal ambitions. It could be you're just plain too busy. Entertainment, video games, sports, personal freedoms, uh, amusement parks, whatever, church, friendship, family. You're so much that you can give no focused attention to being attractive, to be light and salt. Because you're just too busy. The biggest issue for all of us, and, and would you admit this, is fear of man. Would you agree with that? You, if you stand up for this, if you make those statements, if you kind of articulate what you truly believe, you're going to make waves. And so you're trying to avoid verses 9 through 12, persecution. And when you avoid 9 through 12, you're never going to get to 13 to 16. You, you, you got to realize that you've you got to go through 9 through 12 to get to 13 to 16. You got to be willing to say, I'm willing to stand for pushback and even persecution, but then that leaves me and makes me more influential for Christ. Understand, you don't stand for truth, you don't confront error. When you do that, you begin to slide into another kind of purpose. Get this, Christian. When you're in the flesh, you'll be silent. When you're in the spirit, you'll speak. And God has not given us, 2 Timothy chapter 1 7, a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Letter C, are you working at being attractive to the lost? You're here to point others to Christ. You are an ambassador, right? You belong to another world. Are we going to live on this, this world as it is right now? Are we yes or no? Really not. This world's going to be redone, and we're going to live on this planet with heaven and earth together for all eternity, and you're an ambassador of that new world. You, you now go by different values. You love different things. And if you're going to be attractive, you've got to point to the gospel. You have a purpose here. But listen, here's the problem. You were made by God for a purpose. When you have a different purpose, that becomes an idol. And when you have a different purpose, it's going to lead to compromise and to ruin and to difficulty because you have to live the purpose that God laid out for you in order to actually find your purpose on the planet. You understand that? You, you have to do what he's called you to do, not what is convenient. And so understand, if you're going to be unique, you have to live his purpose, not any other purpose. And if you begin to live another purpose, you're going to find yourself in difficulty and sometimes in disaster. So many places now even encourage Christians to act more like undertakers than joyful, forgiven children of God. When the lost look at Christians, many of them get discouraged. In fact, Emperor Julian, who's the one who followed after Constantine, this is a quote from him. And he was frustrated at the Christian community that he was emperor over. And he said this, Have you looked at these Christians closely? 
hollow-eyed, pale-cheeked all. They brood their lives away, unspurred by ambition. The sun shines for them, but they don't see it. The earth offers its fullness, but they don't desire it. All their desire is to renounce and to suffer that they may come to die. Yuck! That's not tasty, and that's not uh, shiny. Is it not? It's not. If we would labor to be filled with the Spirit just to be dependently obedient to giving thanks always or rejoicing in the Lord, we'd be ten times more attractive to this world than we currently are because your face would begin to show it, right? Then if you add to that good works that you intend to do, you're cooking with gas. I mean, that's when it takes off because all of a sudden you're fixing their car, you're helping with their kids, you're caring for their needs, you're, you're bringing them a meal, you're cooking those incredible cookies that you make, you can and should be making Christ attractive. can't do it all the time, but you can do enough of it where you begin to point to something greater than you. You have to intentionally plan to do this, will you? Is anyone attracted to your life or wants to have your heart of joy and love and peace? If not, why not? If not, why not? Letter D, no tastiness and no light means no salvation. Again, we are given the gospel not just for our own benefit, for us to share with others. And it's God's gospel for the lost uh, next door and worldwide. I hear some people putting their notes away, so be careful that God will forgive your sin-sick, shrivel-up soul for doing that. But understand... (laughs) Believers are salt and light. We are to be tasty. We are to be attractive. Yes, there'll be persecution. But in the midst of that, we can actually be highly influential. And here's the key. For some, maybe one or two or three of you, you need to cry out to Christ and say, you know what? I need to be transformed within. I need to be made into a new person. And only God can do that. You can't save yourself. You can't born yourself again. You couldn't birth yourself the first time. You can't birth yourself the second time. You can't. God has to do it. And in doing so, you have to cry out to him to say, would you please give me the faith I need, the repentance I need to turn from my sin and to depend on you and to believe that you are God who became a man, died on the cross, suffered all of God's wrath for My sin upon the cross rose from the dead, and when I surrender to you, you not only cover me with your righteousness, but you transform me internally, and now I become a new person who wants to be salt and light. Listen, we shouldn't be guilt-ridden and discouraged. We should be called to be his ambassadors with joy, with the privilege of actually showing this world the world that we're headed to, and to be ambassadors of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would use your word to change our lives. Maybe a couple here would be drawn to you. And Father, for the rest of us, that we would actually make choices to be filled with the Spirit, to be living out the Beatitudes, to be living the fruit of the Spirit as you work through us with love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And Father, that with that character and those unique expressions of your heart and life, 
may we also pursue attractive good deeds. Uh, Reach out to those neighbors. Not just on holidays, but to love them randomly from time to time, that they see that there's something very unique and different about us. That we would speak differently with our workmates to intentionally to highlight things that we value, that you value, so they might have thoughts of you. And when the time comes and the crisis hits, that they might actually come to us and ask for the solution, which would be the gospel. We pray, Father, we may be those kind of people more and more that we might fulfill our purpose on this planet. And Father, we'll give you the glory for what you'll do. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.